It was a day to forget for the Hawks at Adelaide Oval, especially at halftime as Port was setting records and an awful Hawthorne unit had come to play. But a second-half revival brought the margin under 10 goals. And if you had asked Hawthorne fans the day before, would you accept kicking 96 points at Adelaide Oval against the second-ranked team in the competition, we'd have taken it in spades. Don't think anyone would have had conceding 151 on the bingo card, though. We've got six points to talk about. This is the Talking Hawks podcast, your one-stop shop for Hawthorne audio content, connecting Hawthorne fans from all around the globe, not just to each other, but the club as well. I'm Daz. I've got Timmy. Great man. It was a, it was a weird experience from my point of view, watching the game from home here in Victoria. How are you and uh, how was your uh, Saturday afternoon? Yeah, going well, mate. Uh, Saturday afternoon. Look, I'll say that first half was only slightly less enjoyable uh, than watching The Little Mermaid, which I went and saw with my daughters over the past few days. But that second half, uh, yeah, a lot, lot of positives to take from the second half. Half time, optimistic Tim was, uh, yeah, very pessimistic. But then <laughs> as we started to kick some goals, the optimism started to come back. And I'm in a WhatsApp group and I, uh, I sent a message and one of the blokes said, it's nice to know that you're not always glass half full. So yeah. that's uh, that's what that first half did to me. Yeah, we, we have to send out a welfare check, mate, because I was I was worried about you. We know that you're, you're a man who wakes up with a smile and goes to bed with a grin and everything in between is just happy, happy. And then the Hawks decided to test that. But they got you back on board. We'll talk about everything and anything to do with the game, mate, which we love. But... Jeez, they're a good side, Port Adelaide. Let's take nothing away from that, first of all, mate. it's This was the second team on the ladder, playing like the second team on the ladder, who took advantage of a young side who clearly did not come to play. They were they were simply awesome in that first half, which uh, which is partly our fault and partly why they're probably a contender. Yeah, their first half was absolutely phenomenal. Some of the kicks they were taking through the middle, through uh, some of those risky kicks, looked amazing. Uh, when Ryan Burton's able to stream into goal and be able to kick one from 55 early on, you know that their firing was really interesting because when they played against Richmond early on in the season, they didn't bring the same heat and same intensity uh, that they brought yesterday. So I wonder if Ken Hinckley had the primed saying, you know, they've just had two wins. They'll be coming off a really spirited victory against St Kilda, so they'll be full of confidence. So if we come out firing early on, we might be able to uh, to dent them. And obviously, with Sis not there, uh, and a couple more young kids in terms of Bailey McDonald getting a run, you know, the, the pressure was on. And for those kids, it's going to be a great learning opportunity from going forward. Absolutely it is, mate. And uh, a huge shout-out to Bailey McDonald as well. He's gone further in his career than everyone can possibly dream of, mate. And we wish him all the very best. Ten touches, six marks. Thought he looked pretty good. Was pretty composed in that second half, I thought, as were a few of his teammates. And we're about to get into our points here. But if you would like to sponsor... Denver Granger Barris, who let me tell you, took some serious PI double five in the VFL on the weekend. John Newcomb and Jasmine Fleming, you can jump on talkinghawks.com. On the right-hand side of the homepage, you'll see the big, beautiful sponsor photo that Mitch has put up for us. He's a star, the great man, and hopefully we have him on the pod again very, very soon. And you can help be involved. Highly recommend it because the sponsors night in it of itself is an amazing experience, even though... Uh, last year, mate, I did uh, I did say to Gunners, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a Hawks jumper next year. And he said, so so am I, mate. And uh, he lied to me, did Big Jack, which broke my heart <laughs> a little. But other than that, mate, the night is a special one. So I highly recommend people getting involved. Let's get to the six points, mate. And I'll hand it over to you for point number one. Yeah, so my first point I want to talk about is our rising star nominee, Josh Weddle. So 
watching that first half, there were jitters aplenty. So many fumbles. Uh, you know, I think a couple of times he slipped over. He was playing on Jeremy Finlayson, who had four goals, two at quarter time, and the two were both posters. Mm. So literally in the first quarter, could have had six goals himself. Now, in terms of Weds, he'd been given the job of taking on Sicily's role, which is a huge task to be uh, to be able to play, especially in what game six, I think it is. Mm. But obviously, that's how highly rated he is internally by the club, which is fantastic. Went into the halftime and he could uh, could easily have just turned up his toes, dropped his head and went, nah, this is going to be uh, a terrible day for me no matter what. But came out after halftime, the resilience that he showed was absolutely phenomenal. Took two massive hangers, of which I reckon one of those will get uh, possibly a nomination for Mark of the Year. And he ended the day with 25 touches, the four marks, six rebound 50s, and he had 466 metres gained. So... I just love the way that Weds came out in that second half and acquitted himself, and it shows you why the club was willing to trade up in terms of uh, last year's draft to be able to get him because they knew what they were getting. And then seeing what he was able to do in terms of his resilience, it certainly puts us in great stead going forward because if we've got young kids like this, you know, the journey's going to be a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I think we've actually got to start noting who's fumbling early because they're going to turn it around. In the St. Kilda game, I talked about my apology to Lockie Bramble because his first contest against the Saints, mate, he had three fumbles and somehow one and a half turnovers and turned out to be one of the better ones. I'm with you. You wouldn't have been able to put money on him being one of our better players eight minutes into that first quarter. It would have been one of the worst takes of all time. He was a kid. He was going to have a man. We were going to, we were going to live with it because he's going to be a star. Mate, fast forward two hours and you're just thinking, all right, he ain't going to be in that jumper forever. That That, that is going to be cashed in very, very quickly. And we're going to be putting a down payment on his forever jumper. Very, very soon, which I'm looking forward to. What a star he's going to be, mate. The way that we've won that trade is extraordinary. Not that I'll be talking about that again. <laughs> now let's go. Uh, I'll go to my first point, mate. And that is uh, the objective way that we're going to look at this game in its entirety. So Twitter is a beautiful thing. I love Twitter. I'm a massive, uh, I'm a massive Twitter fan. Uh, and the live reactions in the first half were justified. It was horrible. I don't have the vocabulary, the words, the dialect, the, uh, I won't try and patronize people in trying to put the wallpaper over some cracks. I was talking to Smithy at the time. He did a fantastic job in his play ratings. Go check that out. Talkingorks.com. It'll be the first article you see. Um, at halftime, he had one player on three stars and one player on five, just because the best on ground, we always say, gets the five anyway. That's it. They were the only ones that had any kind of a pass mark. Um, I won't spoil who they were because they'll be in the uh, the ratings there and people can go check that out. But, mate, it was grim. But what I'm finding a bit hard to comprehend from Hawthorne fans is how little credit we seem to be giving ourselves for that second half. Yes, Port Adelaide couldn't play like that forever. We also didn't let them play like that. For every but, there is a there, there is another interjection on things we do well. Well, they couldn't kick 100 points in the second half. Yes, we also didn't let them get close. Both of those, both of these things can coexist. As Sam Mitchell said in his presser, it wasn't the coaches that turned around the messaging. It was the players that looked at each other and went, we need to fix this. And they did. So for all of the negative, which, hey, are justified, like I said, we've also got to look at it and go, 
all right, on our terms, it works. On our terms, it works. We outscored them by 40 in a half of football or 30-odd. It works. Our game plan works. Now, we need to be able to get the game on our terms and get a bit more experience, ergo what this journey is. But Hawthorne fans, be as angry as you want about the first half. Be as positive as you can in the second half. And eventually we walk away going, we probably are 10 goals off the bet, one of the best teams in the competition on their home ground. We probably are. It's probably what we all thought deep down going into the game. And that was the result. Our youngsters did really well. There were some experienced blokes that didn't. But overall, we come away from this game maybe without a whole lot of new information. But don't go over the top into thinking that the that the journey's taken massive steps back, this, that, or the other. For as bad as we were in the first half, we were as good in the second half. And let's keep that level-headed approach because we have got Brisbane at the MCG, which is going to be hopefully an awesome experience for our players. We've got the bye. And then we get to ruin some seasons, which is going to be really fun to watch because we have got so many of those teams that are from 4th to 12th on the ladder, and we are going to be a factor when it comes to who's playing finals. So enjoy that before we inevitably become one of those teams that are playing finals consistently. So stick fat Hawks fans. It really wasn't that bad. That's my rant. That's my point. So I, I actually look at it and I think you can use one of Sam Mitchell's phrases and that it's never as good or never as bad as you think it is. Because when you watch that first half, yeah, it was awful. But seeing the kids continue to take the game plan on, continue to try and implement the game plan, even under incredible pressure from Port Adelaide, you went, Sam would be sitting there while, yes, he was pulling his hair out with one hand. On the other hand, he's sitting there going, he knows the game plan, he can implement it. He knows the game plan. He can implement it. He's standing up in the furnace. He's the one, you know, he's someone that we want to have going forward. And I just think that's something that we can definitely tip our hat to and take away from the game. And in terms of the resilience of that second half, go back and have a look at 2005, 2006, when we had those rebuilding Hawks. A 70-point halftime lead blew out to 130-point loss. This time around, I think Port got out to what, 92, 94-point lead. Yeah. And we whittled it back down to 55 points. Have a look after quarter time. From quarter time to the end of the game, we lost by 14 points mm. against a team that's going to be a premiership contender. And as you said, we played them over in Adelaide. They reckon it's an absolute cauldron being over there when it's full of Port Adelaide supporters. For some of our kids, the biggest crowd that they've played in front of would have been last weekend against St Kilda in front of 32, 33,000. So you're playing in front of almost a packed house, 50,000 at Adelaide Oval. Once again, great experience for them to get that big game atmosphere because while we are rebuilding, you're not going to get that many opportunities of it. Yeah, exactly right. So Hawks fans, don't think we're shying away. It wasn't good, but it's not a disaster. All right, we're, we're, we're out of the gate, mate. We're going beautifully. Take us through your second point and the third one, please. So my second point, I want to bring up Mitch Lewis's second half. So at halftime, Mitch Lewis had seven touches. He had one goal assist, one behind, and Alira Lear was all over him. Literally, Alira Lear was over him like a rush. Anywhere Mitch Lewis went, Alira was there. The amount of times that Alira outbodied Mitch Lewis to take a mark was crazy. The amount of times that we'd get the ball upfield, bomb it into a two-on-one, giving him no opportunity. We did many times in uh, in that first half. And then he was one of those ones 
that Sam Mitchell was talking about in the press conference because Sam said he went to Dylan Moore and Mitch Lewis and said, what are we going to do about it? And they both said, we'll turn it around. He comes out in the second half and similar to Denver, took the PI double five. He ends up with 13 touches in the second half, two direct goal assists, 13 score involvements for the rest of the game and ends up with three goals himself. And you go, wow, like yeah. what a phenomenal effort. 20 disposals from a, a key forward, from your full forward, getting 20 disposals. Like, that's huge. And I remember, I think uh, someone said there's only two blokes who play full forward who've had 20 touches or more twice this year, and he's one of them. Yeah, Jeremy Campbell's go, the other one. It was me. <laughs> it was you. It yeah. was you. And you go, what's uh Pick 76. Pick 76. And look at what he's able to do. Like, the guy's a freak. The way he's able to pick the ball up off the ground below his knees, the way he was able to bring other guys into the game around him, he just went, that's a leader. Like, that's what we want. You could see in that first half how frustrated he was. You know, he'd be leading to a point and the kick wouldn't go in that direction. You could see the frustration on his face. But similar to Josh Weddle, went in at halftime and rather than turn up his toes and go, it's all right, we'll wait till next week against Brisbane when uh, when I'll get Harris Andrews. No, nah, I'm going to turn this around. And... Turned around, he did. Ends up with an absolutely phenomenal second half. Was pivotal in terms of us being able to kick almost 100 points for the game. And you think, there's my leader. Yeah, absolutely. 16 goals, 11 he's kicked from only six games, which kind of thought we've now that he's back, we kind of forgot he was missing a little bit, I feel like, with Big Mitch. But last year, 15 games, 37 goals, 15. I think he's going to smash that this year, to be honest. I know we've got half a season left. And he's got to, to quote, get a move on. Um, but, jeez, it looks, he's just, he's so good. Pick 76, mate. It makes no sense. Statistically, it makes no sense on how he's this good. Oh, I love him. I absolutely love him. All right. Uh, my second point um, is not a cop-out, but just some context. So that's what I'll call it. Co- uh, context, not cop-out. The midfield battle. Now, the Hawks going into this game were equal fifth for clearance differential around the entire ground uh, and were first for center clearance differential. Now, if you watched any part of that game, you know that that probably sounds ludicrous now because of the clearance numbers, 42 to 33. Of course, negative nine for the Hawks, which takes us around the ground, I believe, to ninth, so middle of the road. And center clearances this week will drop down to fifth. So from first to fifth, that's how tight the midfield groups are with sides like Gold Coast who will have moved up with their win over Adelaide, et cetera, et cetera. Rosie and Butters, I suggest that at least one of them, if not both, are going to be read out on uh, Brownlow Medal night. They were both amazing, 29 and 26 touches, respectively, 16 marks between them, nine tackles. And Rosie himself at one stage in the second quarter had more inside 50s by himself than we did as a team finishing with 13 for the game, which is just stupid numbers. Now, those two between them have played now 171 games. And just for context, Jimmy Warple, John Newcomb, and Will Day between them have played only two more between them, those three compared to those two. So what we experienced in terms of Rosie and Butters is what this midfield is going to be in two years. I mean, that's going to be pretty enjoyable to watch, I reckon. And then... 
You add into the fact that Ollie Wines was third for them in disposals, 24 touches, a goal, five tackles. One of the more quiet 24 touch games I've seen, to be honest. I didn't notice a whole lot of Ollie Wines, mainly because I was trying to figure out what exactly I was watching. But alas, we go to his 216 games now. And you look at the rest of our guys that were named or played decent enough midfield time of those I haven't mentioned, Dylan Moore, Connor Nash, Connor McDonald. You can even add in guys who aren't playing, Josh Ward, for example. I don't even come close to that in where they are. So that the we got the midfield blueprint. It's all about enjoying the ride until then. And I know Will Day is a star, going to be a star, could be anything. No one can convince me John Newcomb's not our best mid. He was as poor as he's been for the entire year, and our midfield was a shambles. Will's been BOG some weeks. He's been quiet some weeks, and we were still the best clearance center clearance team in the competition. Jai didn't lay a tackle, which is probably a first for his career, if I'm being honest. Had the 19 touches, kicked a goal, still had five clearances and five inside 50s himself, but he wasn't at his usual best, and neither was the midfield. That tells me that that man... That number three, our man at Talking Hawks is the MVP of our future, hopefully premiership winning midfield. So Hawks fans, I know we got beaten up around the ball, but again, it is all about that development. I think we kind of lose sight on how young we really are, but geez, we're coming and we're coming like a tracer bullet. Let me tell you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you look at the optimistic names. one here. No, I'm loving it. I'm, Hang on, what's I've just noticed I'm loving that. There's another optimistic person. <laughs> what's happening? I mean, you read all those names: Day, Newcomb, Moore, Nash, Warple, McKenzie, McDonald. Mm. Throw into it, Ned Long, another one who's coming. Yeah. You know, his last month at uh, Box Hill has been fantastic. Cooper Stevens, the past two weeks, has not only hit the scoreboard, but he's getting. Lots of uh, contested possessions through that midfield as well. He's looking great. Henry Husway, the man with the uh, the golden hands, who's able to get you know that that quick fire ball out, and you go that midfield is going to be something phenomenal in two or three years' time. And we will have down days, uh, unfortunately. And watching it yesterday, we just looked two or three steps off the pace, just in terms of around the midfield. And when you look at the likes of Rosie and Butters and their quickness, you go that's that's what we'll have. But We've got to get those games into these young kids. And, you know, the future is incredibly bright and incredibly promising for Hawthorne. And as I said, we'll have some days where that midfield probably won't click as well as we hope to. And I think we had, uh, I think we won hitouts. Pretty sure, pretty yeah, certain we won hitouts. 24 or something. Yeah. yeah. And then you have a look at the the clearances and it was almost a direct swap in terms of the, uh, the amount we won. But it is what it is. But, yeah, I think if you look at that, Give them another 100 games together and it's going to be something fascinating to watch. Yeah, exactly right. And you also got to remember when they were drafted, uh, you know, pick five, pick 12 in the same draft. That's what Butters was. Warple was a pick 40. I know Will Day was pick 13. Um, but Newcomb, mid-season draftee, uh, Butters and Rosie had, you know, blokes called Ollie Wines, Robbie Gray and Travis Boak who were running that midfield. We made the decisions not let those senior guys run the shop for better or worse, but this is what it's going to take. And, you know, by the time Port Adelaide's premiership window shuts, eventually ours is hopefully as wide open as it is. So, yeah, I'm not sure what's coming over me tonight with my optimism, but you're never going to believe it. My third one's optimistic as well. So let's get to your third, mate, and the fifth of the night. So my third one, and I want to talk about uh, a gentleman you just spoke about briefly, and he was drafted with uh, pick number 45, and it was James Warple because... 
in that first half when the heat was on and the fire in the furnace was absolutely you know blazing, he was one of the few who actually stood up and tried to uh, to halt the momentum of the Port Adelaide midfield. Uh, Daisy looked sore yesterday. They showed him at halftime. He had his ribs taped up massively, and at times he could barely get his arms above his head. So you think, yeah, he's probably playing sore, wasn't able to impact the way we wanted to. And then Warps, on the other hand, he had a phenomenal game. And I know we we're always critical in terms of his disposal efficiency. He had 35 touches yesterday, went at 80% disposal efficiency, two turnovers, which you think about that. So that means 33 of his disposals, not bad. Uh, 495 metres gained, and he had 17 contested possessions. And I just thought, that's brilliant. Like, that's the James Walpole that we saw back in 2019 when he won the Peter Crimmins medal. And I know this year we've been talking about the resurgence of Warps and how great he's looked, but at the same time, that disposal efficiency has been right down. And then yesterday, watching him, he just went, yeah, look at that. Like, he is absolutely trounced the uh the next best going through the I mean the next best going through the, the midfield. Dylan Moore had twenty two and Nash had twenty one. Hmm. You look at that and you go, like he's had almost 14, 15 disposals more than they had. He had uh, nine score involvements as well. So not a bad day for warps whatsoever. So that one in one in four touches has ended up in uh, in a score. So yeah, which is extraordinary. You know and uh he had 23 pressure acts, which is the equal most on the ground for Hawthorne. I know we've spoken about, jokingly, tongue-in-cheek about, would you want, you know, if you had to pick between Jai and Connor to tackle you. Let me put it this way. James Warple is a third that I don't want to think about either. The amount of power that he can get in a tackle standing still is honestly ridiculous. Now, whether that tackle fully sticks or he impedes his opponent, I do. I, I kind of hate the broken tackle stat because it's um, they still count broken tackles if you grab the jumper and they still get a handball away. Don't ask me why, but someone in the know did tell me that. It might actually be wrong and he's tricking me. But um, what I don't like, is, what I do like about Jimmy now with that defensive running is he will be a nuisance at worst. And at best, he's still burying blokes legally, of course. I've loved this year. I, I can ex- I can accept the turnovers if he's still working hard two ways. And he did both. Used it beautifully. Um, and, and pressured as well. Love the Warps. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just thought it was great. Great game from Warps, especially when, unfortunately, the rest of our midfield was having a down day. As you said, you know, Joe wasn't able to impact the way we wanted. He had the 19 with one goal. Nashi had... Probably the uh, the quietest twenty one possession game I think you could have. Uh, you know, and I think Nashi only had the uh, the two clearances, so really quite day for for Nashi. And then Dylan Moore, uh, who went through the midfield and had the twenty two touches. I think he had eleven of them in the last quarter. Mm, yeah, you know. And then you look at Warps and you go all all game. You know, he was absolutely bringing it, and he only had the seventy eight percent game time, and he got yeah, thirty five disposals. Yeah. He had 13 in the first quarter, and at one stage, he was leading the disposal count for the game, and the next 13 players were all port, which is just how little we were getting the footy. But let's finish uh, with a tribute to a champion, mate. Luke Bruce, 500th goal. Now, he teased us. He teased us, Punky, originally. He hit the post. Did he hit the post twice? He did. Before he kicked it? I think he did, because we started the game with all... 
Yeah, the first four scores of the game were all four goalposts that had been hit, which is extraordinary. And I'm calling that a first. And if anyone can prove me wrong, I'll I'll sort out a prize. I won't go too over the top. I'll make a promise I can't keep. But seriously, if someone could find me footage of that uh, in a different game, it would be extraordinary. But 271 games and going through his year by year now, 2020 uh, was definitely the outlier where he kicked 16-6. But the rest of his yearly input... To walk into a side and kick 30 goals in your first year. I mean, I mean, come on, punky. My goodness. But then he went 45, 40, 57, 52, 47, 33, 54, 34, 33, 14. And he's now on 23 halfway through the year. He could kick 50 in, and he's turning 32 this year. Like, come on. I don't think we're going to properly understand just how good he is. Think about it right now, Hawks fans that are listening to this, because, Timmy, I'll be honest, I think I've chewed your ear off about this enough. How many all-time small forwards can you conclusively say are better than Punky? Just take a moment to think about it before I give you the names, right? That list is insanely short, I reckon. Eddie Betts? Just, just, I mean, Eddie was a freak. Uh, Stephen Milne, I think we've got to give it to Milne, regardless of what you think about on the field. Jeff Farmer's up there, uh, depending on, uh, well, how you feel about Jeff Farmer, but he's definitely in that conversation. Peter Matera, definitely up there, star small forward. And then you kind of go, hmm, well, his old teammate Cyril was pretty good. Yeah, we got to give Cyril the edge, I think, the highlight reel himself. That's it. As far as I'm concerned, that's the list in terms of guys who either are or could be better than punky all time. And we still get to watch him. He's still stuck fat. And he had an equal high in, uh, in scoring shots and kicking five goals, three, and he just as easily could have had eight captain for the first time. No one has said a bad word about punky since he walked in the door as this little new South Welsh kid uh, who played rugby growing up. He's still one of the hardest men in the league to tackle. He still uses his body in the contest unbelievably well. And since Stevie J has retired and, maybe even competed with Stevie there. No one is better on the left or right foot when it comes to kicking around the corner. He's an absolute star. I love him to death. He's a brilliant bloke as well. So in such a a bad week for the club, for so many on and off field reasons, please do not let the celebration of this man go by. He's an absolute star. Three flags. I could talk about him for hours, but when the ball is on the deck, he's one of the most clever footballers We've seen he's the last of the dynasty and uh, I bloody love him, Timmy. I do. I can't, I can't put it any other way. I bloody love him. Yeah. He's an absolute champion. You think about it, he's had many an opportunity over the last few years to, uh, to head off to another club and become one of those ring chasers. similar to what they do over in the NBA. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and he decided that no, no, he wasn't going to, he was going to stick with Hawthorne. Hawthorne had been good to him. Uh, he was picked up on the rookie list, as you said, uh, the cousin of Trent Barrett, who played for uh, the New South Wales team and also the Kangaroos in, in rugby league. So, uh, you know, Brewster's obviously come from a good lineage of uh, sportsmen in terms of that. Currently sitting 15th in the Coleman. 32-year-old <laughs> small forward sitting 15th in the Coleman. He's uh, 23 goals. And the next best for Hawthorne is Mitch Lewis, who we just spoke about before on 16. And you go, he's unbelievable. And the part that I love most on the weekend, I must say... I was a bit gutted that he kicked goal 500 in Adelaide because I would love the club to have 
done the right thing and put him in cotton wool. So we could have had the uh, the roaring crowd at the MCG, you know, bathed in brown and gold, cheering on Punky with 500. But it didn't happen. The uh, the thing I did love is that he kicked 5-3 on Ryan Burton, former Hawthorne player. I thought, how nice is that? That was a really nice touch. So I don't know if Ken decided to put Ryan on him because he knows that sometimes Ryan can be very lax in terms of his defending or not. But uh, I just thought, how nice was it to see Punky get... Goal 500 and then 501, 502, 503, and then 504, as Mark Howard told us throughout the year, throughout the game yesterday. So, yeah, really, really glad that we get to see the, the twilight of Punky's career. And I think uh, Sam Mitchell summed it up best in the post-match conference when he said Punky would have loved kicking five, but that Sam Butler was able to snap a goal mm. from small forward craft would have made his heart smile even more than than his own goals. And that just goes to show the, the class and character of of Punky and what he's uh, going to hopefully be able to instill in the likes of Butsy, Brockman, uh, and young Jack O'Sullivan as well. Yeah, mate. Absolutely. He's a... Oh, how do you not love him? How do you not love him? But that's it. The six points done and dusted. Timmy, it's been a pleasure jumping on with you again, my friend. Hawthorne fans, I don't want you to think of this as we're giving the boys a cop-out. It was unacceptable, but it's also reasonable to be positive about what we saw to finish the game. The entree mightn't have been that good. The main had a few problems, but geez, dessert was absolutely beautiful. And let's face it, when you uh, walk out of the restaurant, the dessert's the last thing you think of. And it went down beautifully in that second half. We have got our live stream Wednesday evening, 8 p.m., uh, we have also got our opposition analysis for Brisbane, which might be a little bit difficult considering they're coming off the bye. So that might be a little bit unpredictable, but I'm sure the two gents that jump on there are going to be amazing. Timmy, anything final from you, mate, before we go? No, just as you said before, stick fat. It's going to be an enjoyable ride. We know that Rob McCarthy uh, from the club was speaking earlier this season. He said he reckons post-bye is when we're really going to see the, the team be able to gel and click. And if we're seeing signs of it already, can't wait to ruin a couple of teams' finals, hopes and aspirations in the uh, the back end of the season. Absolutely. Giving Brisbane a false sense of security this week, which is something I can really get behind. Visit talkingorks.com to get all the latest content, both audio, visual and uh, written as well. Take it easy, Hawks fans. We'll see you soon. And as always, go the Hawks.